Hi, my name is Karu. I'm from London, and this episode is brought to you by MPW. Have you found the process of setting up your home studio confusing or overwhelming? Or do you feel like you need to spend a lot of money to have a decent setup? If so, grab a free copy of MPW's Getting Started in Music Production Checklist, which has their top recommendations for building your home studio on a budget, what to look for when buying gear, and tips on how to start with what you already have. Use the link in the show notes to download the checklist now. This is MPW, 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 the podcast with your host, Zylo Aria. Cool. A podcast about music, music production for the everyday musician, where we learn from experienced studio engineers and each other. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the MPW podcast. I'm your host, Zylo Aria, and today I'm really excited to welcome our guest, Anna Laverty. So Anna is a music producer, a mixer, and an engineer, and she has worked with artists including Lady Gaga, Florence and the Machine, and Block Party, just to name a few. So uh, lovely to have you today, Anna. Hey, great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries. It's a pleasure. And, uh, you know, it's really nice to be able to record this in the same time zone as someone because lately it's always been opposite to the guests that I'm working with. So, yeah, it's nice that we're both uh, nice and early in our days and it's a decently nice day outside. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I'm so happy to be here and what a better way to, you know, have a have a great morning chatting about music. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So have you been up to much else this morning so far? I've just been doing a bit of professional development, which is something I've been doing a lot during this lockdown. <laughs> That's good. It's good. I mean, what a better time to just learn some new stuff. And uh, it's good to kind of keep learning, as we were saying. So yeah, upskilling always. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's good. That's good. So I guess you started your journey in Western Australia. So you were studying there and then you moved to the UK quite young and then you moved back to Australia as well. So and then, you know, you've had incredible experiences across a, a, a number of different studios. So tell me a bit about that and how that came about in a yeah kind of summarised So, <laughs> yeah, in a very brief way because it's a very long story. Um, so <laughs> yeah. when I was 17, I went, I started university. I went to university in Western Australia and studied sound. So the course was, um, it was called sound. It wasn't called sound engineering or production. And it was kind of before the colleges that are like, come and learn how to be a music producer. It was like, this college was like, come learn about sound, learn about audio, learn about ears, learn about microphones and tape machines and all that kind of stuff. And it was, I always found that really interesting because I was like a super technical nerd kid and I spent a lot of my time you know, making my own radio shows on my little kind of hi-fi oh, really? studio. Oh, really? So, yeah, so, yeah, so to go there and do that was um, was pretty awesome. It was pretty exciting. So I did that and then when I was 19 I moved to London. As soon as I could get on a plane I went to London with $500, which I thought was heaps of money at the time. Um, and I literally walked out of Victoria Station after getting off the plane. Someone handed me a flyer for a uh, hostel in Stockwell and I went and started there for two weeks until I could find a job and my first job in London. Wow, did you not book anything? No, I didn't book anything and my first, 
I know. And my first job in um, London was at a Virgin Megastore. So um, it was pretty cool. I, it was pretty cool because I landed and I met heaps of people who were, who were in, who loved music. And um, it's really funny. I've been watching the new High Fidelity and um, it just reminds me of that time of working in record stores. <laughs> it was so fun. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. And then you moved to Australia after a while there. I guess. So I was in London for like five or six years and I was just knocking on doors and asking for some work or some help. And it wasn't that long before I got work experience at Maloko Studios. And then they, at the end of my two weeks there, they kept me on as an assistant engineer. So I mostly work with um, like Ben Hillier and Paul Epworth and those guys who looked after the pool studio. And it was wonderful. I worked there for ages, worked on loads of cool records, learned so much stuff. Um, and then, yeah, my partner was like, oh, I really want you know, I need some sun, basically. So we moved, we moved back to Australia and I sort of started from the bottom again as an assistant engineer and I was, um, and I was working at Sing Sing Studios and then I just basically, as soon as I sort of decided I didn't really want to assist anymore, my phone just started ringing with jobs to engineer and produce and it was amazing. And usually those, yeah, usually those jobs came from people who I had worked with as an assistant and then they, like the bands that they were in, the big bands that they were in, you know, where they'd had budget to go into big studios had broken up and they'd started new bands so they didn't have as much money but they knew that I knew how to work all the machines and so they would call me and ask me if I would do it. So, yeah. Wow. Good times. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's really awesome and... Yeah, I guess when these opportunities come, you you have to take them and and be ready for it. And with all your training beforehand, it probably set you up perfectly to take these on. Yeah, I mean, you know, there is that saying of like, I can't exactly remember what it is, but it's something about like there's no such thing as luck. It's like you just have to be ready so that when opportunities do come, you are just so ready to grab them and take them and Mm. run with them. Mm, For sure, for sure. And I think that is true. And also, I think when people just wait for opportunities to come along, it's just not the right attitude. You you do definitely create the opportunities as well. And, And if you're not in the right mind frame, you probably wouldn't even see them if they were in front of you. Yeah, I mean, I have always created my own job. There has, like, I've never, I'm not employed. I've, I've not been employed since I was you know, 17 and I worked in a supermarket or actually a video store. But, um, yeah, I, you know, <laughs> and then I kind of had a side job in a record store in London and stuff like that. But in terms of being an audio engineer or a music producer, I've never been employed by someone. Mm. And how much, I guess, is part of your job of going to find work? Because as a freelancer, you you do have to keep, you know, on the lookout for what else is out there and keep generating your income? Well, it's funny because you have, you do it, like you kind of hustle a lot at the start. Like, to be honest, it was mostly just going to shows and just falling in love with bands and wanting to record them. And then eventually, I guess you kind of become friends and then, and then you just offer to record them in the rehearsal room and it sounds pretty good. And so then when their band does really well, they get you back and they've got budget and you go to a studio. And then eventually, like, word of mouth is where I get all my gigs, really. You know, and I still go to a lot of shows and it's a 
I've been doing this for like ages and I'm still going to shows because I love live music. I think you just can't fake it. You just have to be doing it because you just really love it. Okay. So one thing we do in these episodes is to define the topic. So I've called it a killer mindset and I guess it's just a positive mindset. And what would you kind of define that as in a in a music setting? Yeah, so look, I, to, I you know, I really wanted to talk about this topic because I feel like I have since since I was 15 years old and I decided that I wanted to be a sound engineer actually is what I decided I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. I have just been so focused and I've had such a focused dream and and every decision I've made since then has been about achieving that. So being able to get there has, you know, like serious sacrifices and setbacks and financial stress and all that kind of stuff. But I just had this mindset where it was going to happen and I was going to get there. And yeah, it's really funny because, you know, now I was sort of at a time where I'm like, well, I, I, I got there, I did it, but the mount like you it's kind of just like you get to a ridge on the mountain and then every time you think you've got there you look and you go fuck there's another (laughs) another (laughs) mountain right behind it and it just it never kind of goes away and I think you just have to focus on that and and the drive is something that has never gone away for me either Mm. and that's so important in an industry like music and specifically in uh, production and engineering and in the tech side of things is that you, it's never really going to get easy, isn't it? Is it like it's, uh, it might get easier, but you're always going to have to push yourself and keep moving forward. And that would be a real struggle if you're not kind of able to keep that motivation and drive up. For sure. I think, you know, you have, the thing is, it's so, it's such a cliche to say, but you have to love it. You just have to love it because when you've been working for like 17 hours and you're kind of feeling pretty tired and exhausted and shitty about stuff, you just have to love music because otherwise you wouldn't do it. You would just go and do something else. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And yeah, that, that love for it is, is so important. And, and I guess why, we choose a career in something like this, which is so much harder, I guess, than in a, you could get just a paid job and get your salary, but not have the love maybe for, for this thing that you do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you've been in this industry for a while now. What would you say uh, have been kind of the biggest mentally challenging aspects of your job? And how has that impacted you? Look, I I really enjoy my job. I, I I don't find I don't really find a lot to complain about at all. I love the lifestyle. I love the like the friendships that I've made and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I guess the hardest part is it's something you just get used to, but not having a regular kind of schedule at all (laughs) so like so like I so I I find it really funny because in this coronavirus lockdown that everyone's in at the moment at the start everyone was like whoa what day is it even like who knows (laughs) because they place their whole schedule on what days they're working 
And the funny thing about it is I just work whenever I work and it's mm-hmm. not, it could be, it could be the middle of the night. It could be the middle of the day. It could be a Sunday morning. It could be, you know, a Tuesday afternoon. It just, it's, it's so random. So not having a regu- regular schedule, not having a red- regular income schedule sort of thing. So you can't really plan for stuff is, is kind of weird. And I remember, I do remember that I, a couple of things that I've like missed out on big things that I wanted to do in my life because of my job. And I don't regret that at all, but there are sacrifices. Like for example, we had planned a big road trip across America and I was in New York with my partner and our friends. And I got a phone call when I was there from my job back in London saying, Hey, do you like we just got a last minute booking for doing the editor's record? Is that something you want to do? And I was like, Yes, that's, what, that's something I want to do. It's probably the biggest record I would have worked on to date. And yeah. they were like, They were like, Cool, it starts on Monday. And I was like, God damn it. So I, um, I booked a ticket and I flew back to London, and my friends and my partner drove across America without me. Wow, you know, but then I got to do the editor's record, and from that, I got to work with like new producers and new engineers and that took me further in my career so there are things that you sacrifice but I love my job it means it means that I'm doing it 15 years later you know yeah for sure for sure that is that is a big sacrifice (laughs) road trip would have been awesome but yeah but and that's the thing is you got to work on this incredible record which is which is really cool it is really cool and I mean I've still never driven across America (laughs) (laughs) One One day. day. (laughs) Yeah. So we were talking about mindset and and you you were mentioning to me earlier that uh, you moved to the UK when you were quite young and and that you kind of knew that things were going to work out. And I think that's a, Mm. a mindset that a lot of people strive for and kind of work towards. But it seems to be a kind of part of who you are, which is really lovely. And I, I'm, I'm wanting to talk about, I guess, what do you feel is the importance of that kind of mindset compared to technical skill? Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. It's um, I do feel like it's an inherent part of my personality just to have that drive and also that loyalty and that commitment. If I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it no matter what. And there is that thing, like I've had a lot of assistants and a lot of interns um, over the years and I'll know in it within an hour if I think it's going to work out for them. And it's not, it's not really based on, it's certainly not based on like how, how many shortcuts they know on Pro Tools. It's really <laughs> not about that. It's just about having that just the right personality, the ability to admit when you don't know how to do something and ask and and all that kind of stuff. And I just, I'm always, like even to now, I'm always learning. And if I feel like I don't really know how to do something, especially with someone else's expensive gear, I'm certainly not going to pretend. Mm. Like I'll just be like, oh, I can't, you know, I haven't used this for a really long time. Could you just run through it with me? And they'll be like, Thank God you said that because I really don't want you to break my thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there is, a, there is a, a bit of a trap for young players where they come straight out of college and they call themselves a producer and they so almost sort of um, are very defensive about what they don't know or what they do know. I would say like just it's not, especially when you're young, it's really not bad to ask 
questions and say that you don't know how to do something. Yeah, yeah, that's good and so true. I mean, some of the guests that I've spoken to, you know, they're incredible, incredible producers and they learnt pretty much everything on the job and I guess you couldn't get to somewhere doing this a particular level without having the kind of humility to ask questions and be able to say that I I don't know this. Yeah. Because growth would just be very stunted otherwise. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's like you're always learning, always and also that 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 love of collaboration as well. Like I I, I very distinctly remember realizing that because I was an assistant for so long. I assisted for over ten years. Wow. Um. So that's working with other producers and engineers every day. And then all of a sudden it got to a stage in my career where I was like, wow, I'm the producer, I'm the boss, you know, like all yeah. this stuff. And then I was like, I was like, shit, I don't get to work with people anymore. I don't get to like, I don't get to like hang out with Mark Rankin and Paul Epworth after we've had a day recording Florence and the Machine and talk about how amazing that was. Yeah. You know, it's like I'm on my own in the studio because, you know, we don't have the budget for engineers and assistants all the time. So, yeah, you're kind of there on your own and I really miss that collaboration and that constant learning other people's tricks or trying stuff together and Mm. yeah so I would cherish those moments when you get to spend it with other producers and engineers oh that's so nice that's so nice and yeah and uh, I think good advice for other people who are working with with others and learning to to really make the most of it and take as much as you can. So that's really good. One thing I wanted to talk about was, you know, you you mentioned that the positive mindset is kind of part of who you are, which is awesome. And I guess the more experience you have, the more you can develop that as well. But would you say there's anything other than experience that you can kind of use to develop this more and make yourself mentally more strong? Um, well, I mean, just like on a, on a personal level, I think, um, looking after your like sleep and eating patterns, God, I should really listen to my own (laughs) advice, but, and very big tip, taking vitamin D is a big thing because if you're (laughs) in, in the studio a lot, like, you know, but I don't know. I just feel like, um, I've always kind of known in my heart that everything was going to be good. And I was going to get there. Like someone in this world gets to be a music producer and why wouldn't that be me? Mm. Yeah. And I, I guess I just always had that. Yeah, I guess I've just always had that. And and that is the thing that has f- enabled me to, you know, to get to kind of keep going. Yeah, cool, cool. And you mentioned having a schedule and, and patterns of sleeping, eating and, and that kind of thing, which sounds Pretty basic, but I guess everyone now, especially in the coronavirus time, like you mentioned, is kind of struggling to to keep that and that's just a normal part of a music producer's job where every day could be a work day. Is there any sort of boundaries that you make for yourself to be like, okay, this is work time, now I'm not doing that and I'm, I'm going to completely switch off because uh, it's something that I have struggled with in the past as well where you feel like you could be working all of the time and sometimes there's this guilt of not working which can really have an impact on you mentally. 
I still have that. I always have that. Always, whenever I, I have this thing where I have to be being productive all the time, all the time. And, you know, when I was younger and I didn't have as many responsibilities, um, that was all funneled into audio and work. Now that a little older and I have children, I still have the same personality. So I just channel that into like doing stuff with my kids. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, but, you know, but it is the same personality trait that you take from being pretty obsessed over certain things um, and just transferring it to different like things. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, fair enough. But I mean, you know, I, I just just on that as well though, like so for example, I hadn't hadn't actually sat down and started writing a song from scratch in a long time. And then and then just a few nights ago, I was like cuz I cuz I do co like co-writes and stuff um with people for work, but I thought, damn, I'm going to give it a go just for pleasure and yeah. to to no brief and just like for myself. So I did it and it was it was so fun and it was so great and now I'm kind of a little bit obsessed with it and I feel like I just want to do it all the time. Oh, nice. <laughs> you know, which is great, but I, obviously I can't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure, for sure. I think that love for the creation is is something that's so inherently part of what makes music enjoyable and sometimes you can kind of fall into the trap of, uh, or or if you don't really have to do it as part of your job, just it's not something that you can make time for. So it's nice when you can and and feel that that rush of when you write something that you really like, I think is something that I've never really received from anything else. Yeah, see, that's so funny because that's the artist in you. See, I'm not I'm not that person. I did get that rush the other night and it was really, really great. Yeah. But I get that rush from like mixing a song. Like just catching catching myself in the middle of a mix and being like, Oh, it sounds so good. <laughs> I'm so happy and so excited and how great is this? Yeah. You know. So I do I I mostly get that for, and I get it from like plugging in a really beautiful microphone and listening to someone singing it. Because oh. <laughs> I'm a because I'm a total nerd. But that's I love it. But that's what I do. That's what I do. That's my passion. So that makes me really, really happy. Yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. And I mean, we all in music, whatever you work as or wherever you are, I think comparison is such a thing that so many of us do and it can really impact you I think in a lot of different ways of being like oh this person is here why am I not here as well how yes how do you you know do you have anything to kind of say about that and has that been something that's impacted you yeah, look, it has been something that impacted me in the first half of my career, I would say. I, I had a real issue with comparing myself to where others were. And oh, look, it sounds terrible, but I sort of sometimes felt like I missed out on things that I should have not missed out on and that other people got. And even now, I feel like sometimes people get recognised for things before me in a way I know this that sounds really terrible and that's actually quite a personal thing for me to say but but at the same time um, someone said to me probably about 10 years ago mm -hmm. why are you comparing yourself to that person it doesn't matter yeah just keep doing what you're doing and eventually 
that will be you. And you know what? It was. <laughs> and um, I'm so glad that that person said that to me because I just, that was one of my mentors, Stephen Tram, said that to me. He was just like, why does it matter? Yeah. Why are you comparing yourself to that person? And actually what he said to me was you should be happy for them. And it kind of made me go, wow, <laughs> what am I doing? I should, to- they're my friend. I should totally be happy for them. And so, and from honestly, from that moment, my mindset completely changed. Oh, that's so nice. And I guess my mum is quite a spiritual person and she's always coming up with things like this, you know, when I'm like, oh my God, why is this not working or why is, yeah. <laughs> why is this person doing this amazing thing and, uh, you know, I'm not being recognised for this or whatever. She yeah, she just kind of laughs at it and she's like, you realise you're two completely different people on two completely different paths. What someone else is doing has nothing to do with you and and it's not like, I mean, the universe, if we get really, you know, into it, she's like, it's not like there's only a spot for one person or two people, you know, it's a if you believe the world to be an abundant place where there are opportunities for anyone who really wants them and seeks them, then you will find it in your time. And, and just cause someone else has, doesn't mean that you can't. Yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> Go mom. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I just think, um, it's, everyone has their own story. Embrace your own story. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, It's really funny because like I sit there and sometimes think, oh, you know, I just haven't done enough. I haven't, you know, it's that classic like needing to, needing to be doing something all the time. I haven't done enough with my time. Oh my God, I'm this age. Like I haven't done enough by this time. And then, and then like, you know, someone reads out your bio and you go, oh yeah, I did do all that stuff. Yeah. I've done all that (laughs) stuff, you know, (laughs) or in my case, I go, oh my God, I just, you know, I feel like I just didn't do enough last year and I should have been doing all this other stuff. And then my husband will be like, um, yeah, you had a baby in February (laughs) and then like you had mixed five records by March. What the, you know, what are you talking about? Um, so, and and so just that little, someone just giving you a little like check on your own criticism is helpful (laughs) sometimes. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I think seeing things from other people's perspective as well, like, cause we're just most often our worst critic and, and for sure. And yeah. And I think one way, again, my mum's tip um, is to kind of acknowledge these things is all the little wins that you have, like just take time to celebrate it. Even if you're doing something little, like just getting a dessert from somewhere or, or, or just something to mark that so that it, it's a bit like, cool, I've done this cool thing. Now let's move on. Right. Cause we can really easily be like, Oh, what's the next thing? What's the next thing without really taking the time yeah. to, for the last thing to sink in and be like, wow, that was a really cool thing that I did. Absolutely. If I ever finish like a really big job or um, a an award or something like that, I'll always I'll always try to mark it with something. Uh, exactly like what you were just saying. And oh, nice. Um, very recently, I was given a, a, like a little award, and I got a I got a little bit of cash. And I just that and like I this is when the coronavirus 
happened <laughs> was happening like the start of it and I was, and everyone was like oh my god no work no money for six months yeah what are we gonna do and I got this cash and it wasn't a lot of money but like I got this cash and I was like I'm buying everyone in my family a present oh I love because that. everyone <laughs> yeah but everyone in my family like helped me like my husband looks after my baby and my you know, my daughter like sacrifices me not being around a lot, you know, like the, these things matter. And so like, I just, um, I just bought everyone like a little present and gave it. And then obviously it took forever to arrive because, you know, and then, and then they arrived and I gave them to everyone and they were like, oh, thanks. You know, you didn't have to do that. It was like, just made me feel really great doing that. Yeah. And it was like a nice little kind of reward for all the work that we put in yeah, all the time. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Did you get yourself anything, Anna? Because that's important too. I did. <laughs> oh, I good. did. I bought myself. <laughs> I bought myself three fruit trees. <laughs> oh, I, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they. Ha- I, I'll get them in a couple of weeks because you know you like you put in an order and then they grow them for you and yeah, very exciting. Oh wow, yeah, that is <laughs> awesome. Yeah, coming back to Australia and having a backyard and having access to our fruit trees just made me so happy after living yeah. in a small flat in London. So yeah, I totally understand. Good present. <laughs> I lived on a I lived on a houseboat on the River Lee when I was in London and um I remember coming back to Australia and I was I did not want to be here. I had my dream job in London and I was like, what am I doing? This is career suicide. <laughs> and I came back and like we went into the real estate agent. We were like, yeah, we need a flat. And they were like, oh, how about this like two-bedroom like apartment in this really cool suburb for half of what you're paying for a freaking boat in London with no power? And I was like, <laughs> Oh, oh, okay, cool. So there are <laughs> there are perks. <laughs> yeah. And so we talked about comparison and another thing that I think a lot of people deal with is perfectionism. So I know as an artist I deal with it all the time and a lot of other people have kind of talked about that as well and I wonder if it's a similar thing as a kind of mixing engineer as well and and as a, a as a producer when you're working with someone else that point where you don't really want to let it go because you're like oh I still have this to add which I do believe is a form of fear really is you're scared to put it out in the world so you tell yourself oh it's not ready yet so have you experienced anything like that? I experienced perfectionism really badly but not like that I know exactly what you're saying and I have to coach artists out of that every day of my life Mm -hmm. basically Mm -hmm. like that's a very very common thing for artists to have I have perfectionism in that like um I almost don't start things that I know aren't going to be perfect um when I finished with it and like I know exactly what my limitations are and so I sort of avoid doing things Mm. like and it's it's actually something I've been trying to coach myself out of for the last couple of years because it's pretty um, it can be pretty paralyzing, but yes, the perfectionism is a huge issue with artists and everyone I work with, and having to really talk people down from the edge is like it's going to be okay if we don't you know do that thing. It's not going to make a difference. And I think something we have to constantly remind ourselves, people who suffer from this, is like. People do not care half as much as everybody oh, yeah. thinks they do. You know, they just don't care that much about you. Yeah. Oh, it's so true. It's so true. And it might sound mean, but I think it's pretty empowering that like 
people probably don't care. So you might as well do it. And yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Like for sure. I think more, the most important thing is that you have a history of doing stuff. Like you have a history of releases and like a not perfect history of releases is way better than just never releasing anything. And if you let it stop you from doing things, you will ne- you'll just never do it. You'll just end up doing something else for sure. Yeah. No, I like that. I think that's really powerful. And so many people get stuck in that loop of, oh, yeah, I'm going to release one single in a year's time or whatever. And then, oh, yeah, yeah, and then it's just really hard to kind of, it, it becomes more and more scary the, the more you kind of put it off. Yeah. I'm pretty into debt. I'm pretty into giving myself deadlines as well. Like, you know, by this time, like so by lunchtime or by five o'clock or by Friday or by next month mm-hmm. on this particular date, I will have done this thing. And I like write it in my calendar and hold myself responsible for that. I work really well to deadlines. So that's just a little thing that I do for myself. For sure. I mean, accountability, I think is so, so important. And if we keep ourselves accountable, that's great. But sometimes you need other people to keep you accountable. So in in MPW, actually, we started monthly accountability. So start of the month, we oh, ask everyone sweet. what goals do they want to achieve. And once they've told someone, you know, whether it's yes. us or our community, then it makes it a bit more real. And then we follow up as well at the end of the month as well. So I got to I got to get in on that. I need that accountability. Oh yeah, sure. get in on that. Anna. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so I think because I know that that really helped me when I told people what I was going to achieve just to tell someone. Yeah. And so I think that's a really powerful thing. So that's that's good. So yeah, we've talked about comparison and perfectionism, which I think are two really really big things that a lot of people deal with. So you're touching all my buttons here though. <laughs> I'm get feeling slightly anxious. Oh no, yeah. no. Okay. The rest <laughs> is, is not going to be as deep, but, um, you know, being in the industry for a while now, what is one thing that you kind of wished you knew at the start or something you'd like to tell people that are going into it? People are going to stop paying for music. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. <laughs> a bit depressing. (laughs) Well, it is, but imagine if you knew that then you could kind of restructure your whole plan around like people not buying. Yeah. I don't know. There's way, like the way that we're coming to it now is very different to how we were and people like fighting against change in the industry. Whereas I think if we could just embrace it and work out a way that everyone's going to get paid, then that would be that would have been cool. Mm. But then also just like on a personal level, I don't know, maybe like um, I think we've talked about a lot of the stuff that I sort of needed to get over, like the comparison thing and the even, I mean, I know that I say I'm a really, I was a really confident person and I, and I was and that's kind of how I had the guts to move to London with $500 and all that stuff. But at the same time, like I, I didn't call myself a producer for over 10 years of doing it Mm. because I just had this real feeling like people would be like, you're not a producer, like, you know, but but like we said before, people really don't care. They're not watching you that closely. Like I know we all like to feel like we're in the Truman Show, but it's just really not the case. (laughs) For sure, for sure. And this is a point that I – 
we've actually spoken about before on, on another episode about the ability to call yourself a producer. And I know you mentioned at the start mm. some people jump into that too early where they've just come out of uh, whatever they're studying and call themselves a producer. But sometimes I feel like it's kind of a way to trick your own mind into thinking that you can do this thing because I feel like, you, you know, for a long time um, I was producing my own stuff but I didn't call myself a producer. And I, I think it kind of pushed me away from getting into production properly because I could never get my head around, oh, maybe that is what I am and maybe that is what I'm doing, is that yeah. if you can kind of get over that and be like, okay, I'm, I'm producing music so I am a producer but obviously don't, you know, keep that humility to be able to say that, I, yes, I'm a producer but it's not that I, I know everything and it's a lot for me to learn but giving yourself that title then makes it a little bit more real, I think. Yeah, see, it's so funny that you say that because I – very reluctantly called myself a producer at the start. Like it, it, other people called me a producer before I called myself one. Yeah. Which is so funny, but that's just the way my, that's just the way that I, I am. I guess I'm pretty, um, humble's not the right word. I guess it's like, um, I'm just very, very worried that people are going to call me out on things. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so that's what I, that's something that I definitely had to get over because I was like producing entire records. Yeah, totally, totally. And <laughs> like other people's records. This is a thing, like, we kind of don't really go into the kind of women, men thing on this podcast, but it's something that definitely you, you'll find men doing more quickly than women I think for sure and I, for sure I, I, I wasn't gonna bring it up either but yeah yeah sure. totally, because <laughs> that's kind of what changed things for me when I kind of got to a stage where I was producing my stuff and and still kind of looking for producers outside because I was like mm, is this really what I do because I'm not really a producer but then I'd get beats or whatever sent from me from men that called themselves producers and I was like this sucks. Like I can do a yeah. better job than this. Why am I not calling myself a producer? Well, there's that comparison thing again. Like it's, it's exact. you're exactly right. I think what happened with me was it took me so long to call myself a producer. And then these people who were assisting me were coming up and calling themselves producers. And I was like, wait a minute, hang on a minute, <laughs> you know, get, get to the back of the line. Like, <laughs> yeah. And also um, one of my mentors, again, Stephen Tram, who I was talking about before, he said to me, I was engineering for him and he said to me, I'm not booking you anymore. And I was like, ha, hilarious. And he goes, no, no, seriously, I'm not booking you anymore. You need to go and find your own work. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he was like, you know more than everyone like you know more than everyone all the people that come into this studio that, to make records you know more than them you you do the records <laughs> why are you not doing your own records and so that was a real kick up the ass that I needed to be like okay okay cool I'll do this yeah oh cool cool yeah I've had some incredible mentors yeah sounds like it yeah who've <laughs> really helped me yeah that's cool so we have a few questions from our audience that, uh, yeah, so we, we have uh, two. So one is from Sarah Rafferty. So Sarah asked, 
How do you balance motherhood with the expected workload and timelines as a producer? Mm, it's a tough one and I think it it's evolving. Like I think it changes. It's different when you have a tiny baby and the, uh, to when you have like a four-year-old or whatever or a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old. But um, for me, I'm sort of at the very young child stage. So um, I have some pretty hilarious stories that I, I know make people like kind of shuffle in their seat and feel feel uncomfortable when I tell them. But I remember mixing the Peep Temple record and my husband walking to the studio twice a day with the baby for me to breastfeed while I was sitting at the SSL. You wow. Know, feeding. <laughs> and that's that's how we did it. That's how we got around it. Yeah. And so he is, we do 50-50. So he's essentially like the primary care, I guess, but then I'm the mum. So I have all of that physical stuff. And, you know, it is really weird to talk about because there aren't many women who are producers and who are mums. Yep. So I don't, like, I don't really feel like I have a huge, like, camaraderie around me in this area. But um, but literally having a baby is about, like, breastfeeding and changing nappies and shit. So that's what you have to talk about because it's really difficult. But you just get through it day by day. That's that's my answer. Yeah, no, sounds like good advice. And and I think that's the thing of, you know, this question kind of jumped out because I was like, there aren't too many people to ask this to. So there's not, I mean, I literally, I remember when me and my husband were like, should we have a baby? Like with kind of that, 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 that's something that we want to do now. And I researched, I researched and researched female producers who had had babies, who I could email and be like, is this possible? How do I do it? Yeah. And there, there, there were none. I couldn't find any. The only, the only sound engineer that I found was Trina Shoemaker and she had had one son when she was like 40. I'm sure there are some, but I just couldn't find any documented ones that were doing the same thing as me. Yeah. But it is possible. So that's good. <laughs> well, I'm, yeah, I'm five years in and it's, it's, I'm still doing it full time and I still, and now I've got two kids. So yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Our second question was from Bonnie Marino. So she asked, how do you go about producing in collaboration with artists? Do you or I guess where does the creativity come from? Like do you put forward ideas or um, do they kind of come with a really clear picture? And I think this is a, a good uh, point to ask. Uh, okay, so as a co-production or a co-write? Co-production. I guess if, if you're coming, if a singer's coming to you with a song that they've written, um, yeah. how do you then go about producing that? Oh, okay. Well, for starters, I do pre-production with people. So I'll, um, usually I'll get them to send me, well, always I'll get them to send me a demo so I can hear the song and I sit down on my own and I have a listen to it and I just kind of feel it out and see where they're trying to go with it. Then obviously I'll hear what they have to say about it, but I really like to listen to it on my own first, just to get an idea of what I think they're trying to say. And then, and then I'll do pre-production. So I'll go into a rehearsal room and we'll work out all the technical stuff, so the keys and the form and the tempo and the arrangement and all that kind of stuff. And that's when they'll tell me what they're trying to say and we'll we'll work out a vision for the song, like where we're trying to get to. And then, and then I guess that's where I use my kind of like skills, my knowledge and my experience to 
um, say what we where which studio we need to go to, what we need to do to get to that point. So I guess it's it's kind of a collaborative process. It totally is collaborative, and 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 every every producer is different. But I personally. I know of a lot of producers who are quite dismissive of the artist's end game and they are like, this is the be- the way that the song should be and this is how we're going to produce it to be like that. But I almost to a fault, I'm like, are we somewhere near where you want to be? <laughs> and they're like, yes or no for these reasons and then we'll kind of get there. I mean, every like I say, every producer is different. That's just the way that I try to approach it. Oh, I mean, it sounds good to me and I think uh, one of the reasons that I felt I had to produce myself was kind of dealing with that where things are kind of taken oh, man. away from you and turned into something that you didn't really expect. Sometimes that can be a good thing. Sometimes it can be like, oh, I've just kind of paid for this service and it's not w- where I want it to be. So... Yeah, and, and you know, that comes from a few things and it's really hard because it's not like a lot of producers are out there going like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to screw this artist over and I'm going to do what I want. They genuinely think that they know what's best for it and that's what they're chasing and so it's just sometimes a lack of communication or um, artists not being able to speak up because they don't really know what they want because they haven't got that experience. But then, you know, there, there are certainly situations where some producers have like some sort of other agenda to get the song to be more like what they want yeah I don't know yeah yeah no fair point and also you don't forget when you're working with kind of bigger label uh, projects and stuff there's a lot of people giving the producer their two cents about what they need to be given at the end yeah for sure yeah that's a good point I guess when there's a lot of other parties involved in the creation. Well, there's A&R, there's management, there's other people in the band, there's like all these people and it is the producer's job, I guess, to try and to figure out, you know, exactly what <laughs> what you're trying to do with this song. With yeah. all these opinions, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, cool. Cool. All right. Well, I guess that takes us to the end of the episode. So thanks so much for chatting to me, Anna. And do you have do you have much else planned for today? I just had a mastering engineer call me and say, hey, I got the mixes and like there's not a lot of headroom. <laughs> Can you can you do something? And I'm like, oh shit! I got to go back to this album and see what I've, see where I've. Uh, I don't know. I think it's all right, but we'll see. Creating a <laughs> bit more headroom. Yeah, cool. Sounds good. <laughs> cool. Most most mastering engineers are like, oh cool, you did my job for me, thanks. But no, not this one. Ah, <laughs> uh, right. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, enjoy that, and thank you again for your time. It's been really lovely chatting, and uh, I hope you have a great day. Yeah, thanks, mate. You too. Thanks. Bye. Cheers. Bye.